good friend Richard has outdone himself. He has authored another wonderful book entitled A New Psychology of Human Well-Being. This book explores influences of the ego-soul dynamics on our mental and physical health. Truly a book worthy of your investment of time to read. I hope you will join in on the podcast interview at InsidePersonalGrowth.com or can find us at SoundCloud.com. If you want to learn more about Richard Barrett and his organization, Value Center, please go to www.valuecentre.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy our interview together. And here is the host of Inside Personal Growth, Greg Voison. And I want to thank all of my listeners who come from around the world and have continued to support Inside Personal Growth now for in excess of 10 years and 590 interviews. And I was speaking with Bill here, who we're going to be uh, interviewing in a second, Bill Jensen. And the reality is it just amazes me all the time that uh, I have been able to keep this show going and and keep it on the air. And it's because of all my listeners and all the really, really supportive authors that this happens uh, week in and week out. So Bill Jensen is joining us from Morristown, New Jersey. And Bill owns a consulting company called Simpler Work, the Jensen Group. And he founded that in 1985. And Bill has been working with companies like uh, Bank of America and American Express and Chevron. And it goes on, Eli Lilly, General Electric, Genentech, Walt Disney for years, consulting them on how to make work simpler. I think that's the best way to do it and how to help their people become more productive, but really by doing simple things. In his one book um, that has intrigued me for some time, The Simplicity Survival Handbook, which was actually a book that was published in 2000, um, but it was one of the number five leadership management book on Amazon's list. And I've always thought to myself, hey, I wanted to capture Bill for a few minutes because it has always intrigued me. I think as the world moves forward, Bill, everybody's looking for ways to do things simpler and make their lives less complicated. And you are the de facto guy. So good morning to you. Good morning, Greg. Thank you for having me. Let's let's do what we can to make things simpler for people. Okay, we'll do that. And so let me start this off. You know, your life profession, as I said, has been studying how to make work simpler and how to do great work. And I want to emphasize that too. It isn't just about making work simpler. And out of the million people that you've surveyed uh, over this time, what are the three top things that you've learned about making work simpler and making work great? Probably the first and biggest, Greg, that's the hardest for all of us to recognize is that I have to quote the World War II uh, cartoon character Pogo when he said, we have met the enemy and he is us. The biggest sources of our own work complexity are ourselves. So we have to start mm-hmm. getting out of our own way and realizing how we make things more complicated for each other. So one is, is looking inward before we look outward. The other is all the other two relate to that is uh, how we can take greater control and create much more things, way more simpler 
there's lots of different techniques, lots of different tools, but I would say focus on one thing. The second thing is communication. We can all make our lives a lot simpler if we learn how to communicate better, uh, more simply, more clearly, more, uh, uh, with more focus. And the third point that you were asking for is companies and leaders also own a lot of the complexity that we create. And we need to start uh, getting more strategic and putting a lot more work into how we make everything inside our companies user or worker centered. Most things in most companies are designed around the company's needs, uh, not the worker's needs, and it's got to shift. So the top three things are uh, look to yourself first. We have met the enemy, and he Mm -hmm. is us, usually. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. The fixed is communication. You can you can achieve a lot more simply simplicity by changing how you communicate, and the third is changing our corporate infrastructures, processes, and tools to be a lot more uh, user or worker centered. Well, those are definitely three ma- major areas, and my next question just happens to go right in line with that. How interesting is that? So. Why do you believe then that it's so challenging for businesses and business owners to allow their employees to deploy these simpler techniques that you talk about in this book, and we'll get to in a minute, and to make their businesses more efficient because they've gotten into a certain mindset and ways that they do things, but they've got to be resistant to change because I'm a consultant like you. This is, to me, kind of a part-time job doing inside personal growth. When I go out there all the time, I see how ensconced they are and things. What do you do to disrupt that? I mean, the reality is you have to be very disruptive at what you do. Absolutely. There, there are multiple layers in, in your question. Let me see if I can unpack them. The first, let me get to root causes. Before we even talk about today's leaders, today's companies, let's talk about human history. And we talk about simplicity. Simplicity is always, has always been throughout human history about power. The winners of any conflict, of any relationship, of any situation, always get things made simpler for them. And the losers, whether those are serfs on, you know, uh, in the Middle Ages who you know, worked for the king or anything else, the losers in any conflict always, or relationship or situation always had things made more complicated for them. And one of the biggest things I do when I sit down with senior execs behind closed doors is I ask a big question, simpler for whom? Because most of the time, they're making things simpler for their company, but pounding on top of the backs on everybody more complexity so things are simpler for the company. And that is the toughest thing to realize, that simplicity is about power, and we need to share that power. We need to make things simpler for everybody. And where we have had a new 21st century awakening of that, each of us has that in our phone. You know, we get to design our phone around ourselves. But then we go into work, and all the other tools and processes and procedures we use are designed around the company. So Mm -hmm. what I try to help leaders see, the scary part for them is letting go of power. We've talked about empowerment Mm -hmm. and cultural change for decades, but real empowerment 
is making things simpler for everybody. There's a, there's a new movement out there that I was actually trained. You mentioned uh, the Jensen Group is 31 years, almost 32 years old. Uh, I was originally trained as a graphic designer, and I learned something that, you know, three decades ago that's now a new movement. It's called design thinking. And design mm-hmm. thinking yeah. is the essence of really putting the person who does the work if they're a worker, or the patient, if they're in a hospital, or the citizen, if it's a government uh, situation, putting the individual at the center of everything and figuring out how do we make things easier for them. So this movement of design thinking is really about that. And if any of your listeners have ever watched a show called Undercover Boss, they would know what Mm -hmm. this is about. Most bosses that go on those shows, they have weeping, oh my God, I never realized what it was like, uh, awakenings, and they realize what it's like to be on the side of the worker, be of all their processes and procedures. So the big thing that I've done as a consultant over three decades is I create some kind of undercover boss moment where the CFO works as a cashier, where the COO drives a forklift, you know, where they really begin to understand what the workforce perspective is. So at the end of the, end of the day, Greg, I'm going to simplify all this. I give you a lot of details, but let me simplify simplicity down to one other word. It is empathy. The essence of all simplicity is your ability to put yourself in the other person's shoes, not your own. And that's when you can begin to make things simpler for people, when you are truly empathetic and caring about the other person's situation, whoever that person is. With, <clears throat> I, I totally agree with you on what you just said. And, and in the flip side of that coin, I've recently had a discussion with Greg McKinnon in the book Essentialism. And, you know, we talk about things like simplicity and essentialism. And the challenge that I think that we're faced with is the workplace just being flooded with so much more complexity. How would you actually help people work through these levels of complexity that they're having to deal with, Bill, as it relates to working in the workplace? There, Greg, there are two levels of it, uh, daily that anybody can master and more difficult. Let me tackle the more difficult first. The w- number one skill that I've discovered everybody who works must have is called the ability to triage. And that comes from emergency room medicine. If you've watched, you know, if you've been in an emergency room or you've watched any ER show, uh, it's the doctor who comes in, be, is able to ask two or three critical questions, gather information quickly, make sense of it, organize it, simplify it, and then communicate it out to others as instructions as here's what we're going to be able to do. Uh, triaging is the number one skill of the 21st century. Now, that's difficult. You can go to my website, simplerwork.com, to learn more about it. But the essence of it is we all need to be much better at critical thinking and asking questions and sorting the answers to those uh, quickly. It is a learned skill. Not everybody can do it quickly. Only some people can, but all of us need to learn how to do that. Now, that's the more difficult, more systemic work that's going to take people 
you know, years to master. Here's something that's super simple to make things, to get rid of the complexity and uh, to really start organizing things a lot better for everybody. First is the, so this is daily communication. Everybody can do this. It's a three to five rule. Recognize that when you're communicating to anybody, anytime, anywhere, the three to five, five rule applies either face-to-face or in electronics. Via electronically, uh, everybody is ADD. There is not a single person out there who is truly reading. Everybody skims. Everybody is multitasking. Even when I do webinars, I say, I know you're watching the other screen and not me. Let's get back to the slide. Everybody multitasks. Everybody is ADD. So how do you counter that? You've got to be able to communicate uh, electronically within three to five seconds what your point is. And face-to-face, maximum three to five minutes. If it takes you longer to get to your point via email within three to five seconds, if I can just quickly skim it, or face-to-face if you're holding an hour-long meeting, three to five minutes, you've completely lost everybody's attention. So the rule of three to five is paramount. You cannot violate it or you're going to lose people's attention. You cannot, you know, you can't tweak it. You can't negotiate it with it. Everybody is ADD. We have to start realizing that. And Microsoft recently did some research that said the average person now with social media and everything else has the attention span of a goldfish. We need to start micro-communicating very clear, and it takes a lot of practice. Uh, There is a line that's attributed to Lincoln and many others. I'm not sure of the the accuracy of where it was, but, you know, it's if I had more time, I would have made it shorter. Uh, It takes a lot of work to get things to three to five seconds or three to five minutes, but we must Mm -hmm. practice that. And one way everybody can do that is remember these three words, Greg. Know, as in knowledge, K-N-O-W. Know, feel, do. The universal thing that every, the three universal things that everybody out there is looking for when they have work to do, when they're trying to get stuff done, when they're trying to work together as teams, when they're trying to achieve a strategy, is three things as quickly as possible. What's the one thing you want me to know? Why should I care about it? What do you want me to do? And we need, all of us need to be able to communicate those things in rapid fire. Now, is there more time for leisurely conversation or understanding after that? Yes. But up front, as quickly as you can, this is how people look at valuable communication. They want to look, they want you to look at things, remember I said empathy, from their perspective, not yours. So they want to be able to know, why do I need to know this or understand it differently? Why should, what do you want me to feel? Why should I care about it? Why should I invest my emotions in this? And finally, what do you want me to do? And the ideal communication lists those things in electronically in three to five seconds and face-to-face within three to five minutes. Well, one of the things you talk about and has just proliferated everybody's desktops is emails. And, and I quote a good friend of mine because I actually work, used to work with David Allen, you know, getting things done. He just talks about stuff that comes across your transit. And I think that the issue is, is that we have so much coming across and you have lots of great, um, simple 
techniques for helping people with that. But I think most importantly is psychologically how we feel, the successes. And I want to talk to you about this, actually what success looks like and what does it feel like. So from the viewpoint of doing less, right, and accomplishing more, what in your mind should someone feel like? What are the feelings that these employees and people that we're talking to on this podcast should get as a result of implementing some of your techniques, reading this book, understanding, making work simpler? Because really, in the end, that's what we're all looking for. We're looking for the feeling. So stop feeling so goddamn guilty and start feeling more in control of your life. <laughs> that's, the, that's the punchline. Now let me work back to it. There's mm. one number that's the most important number in business that nobody ever talks about. That's the number 1,440. And that is the number of minutes in every day. And it doesn't matter who you are. Nobody gets more. And if you don't die before the end of the day, nobody gets less than that. We all get 1,440 minutes every day. And we need to start realizing that's the, that's the most precious gift we get from a higher power. Every day we wake up and we get a full bank account of 1,440 minutes. And we get to choose how are we are going to spend those minutes. Now, yes, there are some you know, legal or logistical reasons that some of our choices get taken away. I, I fly a lot. I can't bypass security. So a lot of my time is wasted going through security, but I have to do it. I'm not talking, you know, absolute that you, you own all of your 1440. But frankly, in today's first world economy, and to the people who are listening, you own the vast, overwhelming majority of your minutes. And most of you who are listening piss those minutes away. So the most important thing is to realize that you, your life is precious. You've got to stop giving those minutes away so freely. And you need to, and in today's world, with so many people having so much access to you, you need to fight to preserve those minutes. So stop feeling so guilty about, you know, that, that you have to answer everything. You don't have to answer everything. You don't have to go to every meeting and you start need to feeling more empowered that your minutes are your own. So at the end of the day, what it comes down to, Greg, is what is, what do you want written on your tombstone? She never missed a meeting. He never let an email go unanswered, or do you want he spent the most time with his kids and what really mattered? Those are personal choices that happened way upstream prior to emails and meetings. So the thing that I try to teach in my workshops about all this productivity stuff is yes, there are tips, there are tools, I can give you the website, you can download some stuff, we can talk about it here, but at the end of the day, it's an attitude adjustment. It's a head and heart adjustment that your life is your own. And I teach people how to get out of meetings and how to delete emails, like getting out of meetings. Uh, one of the best tips I've ever learned was from a senior executive of Fortune Ted company, and he said there are three possible responses to any meeting request. Yes, no, or tentative. And he said, never, ever, ever respond yes to any meeting invite. Never, never again. Anybody who's listening, never yet say yes to any meeting invite. Always say tentative. Yes, tentative. And wait for 
the email that shows the agenda. Wait for clarification from the person who's calling that meeting to show up. And then if you don't get that clarification, on occasion, when you can, don't go. And then catch the mm-hmm. person in the hallway and say, you know, for, for, I only got 30 seconds. Can you give me the 30-second recap? And you just saved yourself out of an hour meeting uh, 59 minutes and 30 seconds out of your 1440. Mm-hmm. So we need mm-hmm. to start realizing that you alone, everybody who's listening right now, you alone are in charge of your 1440 minutes. Another tip that I give people in meetings, uh, everybody teaches how to run good meetings. Nobody teaches you how to sit in meetings. And that's what I teach people. So for example, I tell everybody, nobody should go to any meeting without a personal objective, not a corporate objective, not we're going to achieve X amount of units shipped because of this meeting, a personal objective. And that can come down to the three things that I already mentioned. You need to go to that meeting because the only way you could know or learn or understand something is being in that room or being on that teleconference. You need to go to a meeting because you need to feel engaged, like you're participating. And if it's not a participative participative meeting and you, you need to feel that way, maybe you shouldn't go. And the third is, what are you going to do as a result of, what are you going to do differently because you attended that meeting? You need to walk in there with those three objectives known. And if you don't know those, then the wasted time in the meeting is not somebody else's fault. It's your own, your own accountability. So anytime you go to any meeting, let me just finish and then I'll come back to your question. Anytime you go to any meeting, it's your job to know, I need to learn this. And if I don't get it, your job before the end of the meeting is say, Mr. Ms. Facilitator, what, what exactly do you want all of us to do as a result of this meeting? And if you're going to lots of meetings where there aren't a lot of to do's, maybe you shouldn't be in that meeting. Go ahead, Greg. Well, I would just say that the advice you provided is empowering. In other words, empowering to the person coming in versus someone having power over you. You feel empowered to come to that meeting, contribute, be included, and make sure that you leave with something that's of significance. And, and, you know, one of my good friends uh, the other day posted something, and I just want to get your take on this. He was the designer originally and the founder of Telemagic Software. This goes back many, many years. He's in his 70s. And obviously, when you get older, you take a little different perspective on to-do lists versus to-be lists. And he posted something that said, hey, I want to do less on my to-do list and more on who I'm going to become. And I think what you just said was really about what we're becoming as people in this really, really can be quite complicated world that we live in today. And you have you have some advice and you say to continuously improve improve at doing less requires three skills one scanning synthesizing clarifying information two advocacy and three user-centered communications can you explain why those three things will help my listening audience continually improve doing less and being more Scanning is that we all need to get better at um, looking at all this crap that comes out at us and figuring out what the most important stuff is. All of us need to be able to see patterns 
of inf- inf- information and connect the dots. So when you get 27 different PowerPoints from 27 different people in the organization, you need to get much better at, at being able to go just quickly skim them and say, oh, the three things they all have in common are these three things. So that's what I'm going to talk about in the meeting. All of us need to get much, much better at pattern recognition. And like I mentioned design thinking earlier, I, and that I was raised you know, in my early years as a graphic designer, learn, take some things on how to learn about patterns and how to see patterns in things. Take some classes, on, you know, informal or formal. You know, designers are trained at this to how to see the connections between ideas. Uh, so it's super, super important that we be able to scan and see the connections between ideas. Usually there are 10,000 details that are not important, but there are three connecting ideas that are super important. We all need to get much better at that. Advocacy is, again, the the variation of uh, empathy, being able to both be empathetic for yourself and your own needs. Most of us give away control of our lives. We need to be able to advocate for ourselves and for others constantly, not for an, not for our agenda, not for our turf, but for our needs. If you're 1440 or being stolen from you, you're the one that has to advocate for that, for changing that. No one else will. And if you need simplicity in your organization, you need to advocate from an empathetic uh, undercover boss perspective from the other person's perspective. And I was just on a roll, and I forgot the third one you cited back to me was? Uh, user-centered communications. Well, what we already discussed about, that that's the essence of simplicity, is being mm-hmm. able to make things simpler for the other person. If you think about why Apple is this most amazing brand around the globe, and why they have grown so outrageously to, to the point where you know it's it's unbelievable what Apple has done. The essence of all of that, Steve Jobs began with a vision, his vision, but he was always about you know making things simpler for the user. His goal, which he never achieved in his lifetime, was to create something that didn't have any buttons. And from what I hear in iPhone Seven rumor is we're going to be seeing an iPhone with no buttons. Uh, no home button. So, you know, the goal is to keep getting it simpler and simpler from the user's perspective. Companies, unfortunately, are still mainly in the industrial age. They make things simpler. Think about how we have to apply for vacation policies or any other HR policy. Most things that we, you know, uh, productivity, HR, most things that we're made to do for the company are designed to make things simpler for the company, not the individual. We need to get much, much better if we're going to create simplicity at being able to advocate and look at things and be user-centered from the other person's perspective, not ours. Well, Bill, I think you've provided to our listeners just a a great opportunity to not only go in the workforce and make their lives simpler, but really truly looking at their bigger life, the 1,440 minutes, and really how we're using that and an opportunity to make a difference to not only ourselves, but to the people around us, the way we communicate, how we communicate, 
how clear we are, how we go into meetings. I think you've given a lot of great, great uh, advice to our Greg, listeners. do we have time for, for just my... one more quick thought? Sure. You, you, sure. Mentioned, uh, you mentioned earlier the to-be list. Most every presentation, I close with one slide, which is what do you want your legacy to be? And that is essentially helping people, although what I do is I help them with very, very transactional to-dos. Like when I do run a full-day workshop, I teach people, I'm going to show them how to, to, how to reduce an hour down to five minutes. But the, they get all excited. Oh, 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 you know, I just saved myself 55 minutes. I say, by the end of the day, I say, okay, now what's important is not that I saved you 55 minutes. It's what are you going to spend those 55 minutes on? So I want to close with your point around that we need to start focusing on to-be lists more than to-do lists. Every time I ask people, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, when you leave this planet, what do you want to be remembered for? And that's the thing that should be driving your days. Well, those are sound wisdom and advice for these listeners. And I think the more that I do this program, people often say to me, look, Greg, you've been doing this show so long, and why do you do it? And I think it's because I tell people this is not only my personal university on wheels, but it's a university on wheels for everybody out there who's listening. Um, through these years of doing these interviews from people like yourself with great wisdom, going into companies, um, doing their own life journey, the things they've learned. It's just been fascinating to see what bubbles up and what's really important to people. And I think it's what you read in between the lines, Bill, most importantly, is what really comes out. And that's why I keep doing Inside Personal Growth. Now, for my listeners, the book is The Simplicity Survival Handbook. Um, you can get that on Amazon. You can go to Bill's website. Um, and that website is simplerwork.com. Com, is that correct, Bill? That's, That's where you correct. would send most people? Okay. So you can actually contact Bill there at simpler, S-I-N-P-L-E-R, work.com. You'll see information about his books there, um, his speaking, his consulting, his blogs. He's got a store. Um, inside that store, you can do downloads. They're very inexpensive. I've downloaded a couple of Bill's um, actual works, which are really it's fascinating. There's PowerPoints on there. There's all kinds of things. So I'd recommend that you um, take a look at simplerwork.com. Uh, bring this into your company. You know, uh, get the uh, get the Simplicity Survival Handbook and take some of those ideas that Bill has in that handbook and bring them into your work and start to implement them. I think they could make your workplace an, an easier place to be. Any last uh, words for our listeners, Bill? It's your life and live it the way you need to live it, and simplicity is creating more time and more energy for what really matters to you. That's the most important reason simplicity matters. Well, make your life simpler. Um, make your life wonderful, folks. Thanks for listening in with Bill and I. We've enjoyed bringing you this story about the Simplicity Survival Handbook. Thanks so much. I've recently had the pleasure of interviewing Don Crean, the executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. The foundation has released a new book, which is a compilation of speeches that Napoleon Hill did at various points in his career. One of the speeches inspired the famous book, Think and Grow Rich. 
which is an all-time classic and great book. I hope you enjoy my interview with Don and will obtain a copy of Napoleon Hill's Greatest Speeches. If you want to learn more about the Napoleon Hill Foundation, please go to www.naphill.org to learn more about the book, audio recordings, and courses that Napoleon Hill Foundation offers. Thank you, 